Would you please stand for reading of God's word? It's from 1 Samuel 16, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I've provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of that city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has he as the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there yet remains the youngest. But behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. We live in a world where image is everything. In our culture, what is most important and what often seems most real to us is what we can see with our eyes. And so we spend so much time, so much energy, and so many resources trying to keep up an appearance of who we want others to see ourselves as. A contemporary French philosopher named John Baudrillard called this hyper-reality. This is what he wrote, and I want you to hear this. He said, we live in a world where there is more and more information, but there is less and less meaning. The images all around us represent a world that is more real than the reality that we can experience, and people lose the ability to distinguish between reality and fantasy. Okay, if that is true, and I think that it is, what does that actually look like? Because the reality is, as we experience what Jean Baudrillard calls hyper-reality in subtle ways every single day, I want you to think about a model, a professional model, coming to a photo shoot to take a picture for the cover of a magazine. The photographer is using lighting and a backdrop 
And she has a professional putting on her makeup. And the photographer is taking shot after shot after shot until he gets the perfect image. But he doesn't stop there. He then takes that image into Photoshop and begins to edit it, to change the contours of her face, to take out every blemish and every wrinkle. The result is this. There on that magazine cover is the image of a woman that does not exist. And yet little girls are growing up comparing their beauty to that standard that is not real. That is hyper-reality. Or it looks like the $30,000 millionaire. Have you heard about this? It's the person who has maxed out all their credit cards, who is leasing an expensive car, all for the appearance that they have it all together financially. And yet they are deeply in debt and do not have the income to support it. That's hyper-reality. Or it looks like this. The self-editing that we do on social media. That on Instagram, we would post only pictures, the best pictures of ourselves, Living our best life so that we are publishing and publicizing the best version of ourselves. And here's the problem. Then all of the rest of us are all comparing ourselves to each other, to a life that is not real, that does not exist. And of course, there is a much darker side to hyper-reality. Tomorrow, we will celebrate Martin Luther King Day. And we will remember a man who was murdered for speaking out against unjust judging of people based on their appearance, based on the color of their skin. Our obsession with appearance is nothing new. And our passage this morning tells us as such that our obsession with appearance is a deeply human issue. Human in the way that the image of God in us has been defaced by sin. And so in our passage, even Samuel succumbs. He succumbs by wanting to judge the next king of Israel by his outward appearance, and God comes to correct him. And this is what he says. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And so very briefly this morning, I just have two points. They're not even my points. They're God's points. And the first point is this. Man looks on the outward appearance. I want you to look at verse one. The Lord comes to Samuel. He says, how long will you grieve over Saul? If you remember last week, we looked at God's grief his real sovereign grief over Saul's sin. But now the time of grief is over and it's time to anoint, to call a new king. And so he sends Samuel out to a town called Bethlehem to a man named Jesse. Verse four, Samuel goes to Bethlehem and the elders of the city meet him. And this is what they ask. Do you come peaceably? In other words, 
They are threatened by Samuel. Why? Because Bethlehem is just this lowly little town. The only reason why Samuel would ever show up in a place like Bethlehem is if something did some, some, someone did something wrong. They couldn't fathom that he was there to select the next king of Israel. And so Samuel knows, though, God has told him that the next king is here. And so verse 6, he invites Jesse and his boys to a sacrifice. And when he came, Jesse's oldest son, Eliab, is there. Samuel looks at him, and this is what he thinks. This got to be the guy. He is strong. He is tall. He is Jesse's oldest son. He is everything that we would want a king to be. Does it sound familiar? Same thing that the people of Israel did when they saw Saul. And you would think by now Samuel would have learned his lesson with all that he's gone through with Saul. But no, just like you and me, Samuel is looking at the outward appearance. He's looking at external characteristics rather than character. And so he's judging Eliab and he's thinking, this has to be the guy. Verse 7 God corrects him. The Lord says this, do not look on his appearance or on the height of a stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. You see, our problem with appearance, I think, is much more than what a French philosopher calls hyperreality or social media. Our problem is deep. And it expresses itself in two ways, hypocrisy and shame. Hypocrisy is keeping up the appearance of godliness while allowing our heart to wander far away from God. Jesus put it this way in the Gospel of Matthew. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones. What Jesus is saying is that the hypocrite is prone to just cleaning the outside of themselves so that others see them as righteous while completely ignoring their heart. And so they are like a whitewashed tomb. They look good on the outside, like they've got it all together, but inside they are spiritually dead. And the truth is, every single person in this sanctuary is guilty. Every one of us. We are guilty of hypocrisy. It's widely believed that Gandhi once said, if it weren't for Christians, I'd be a Christian. Now, I don't know that he really said that, but you get the point. And see, people today, as they have an increasing problem with organized Christianity, their problem is not with Jesus Christ so much as it is with hypocritical Christians, people who are washing the outside of themselves, but inside are just like them. And brothers and sisters, I think this is what we have to see this morning, that the real hypocrisy in Christianity 
is not that there would be sinners inside a church like this. Because you see, I think that's actually good news. The real hypocrisy is that we would pretend that we are anything but just as sinful as everybody else. And just like them, we desperately need a savior. I wonder, as I say that this morning, what are you doing inside? Do you find yourself bowing up a little bit? Saying, I'm not, I'm not like that. Or do you recognize the way that you think about what others think of your outward appearance more than you think of what God thinks of your heart? Why do we do that? Why are we so prone to hide behind a facade? To hide behind an image of self-righteousness and self-justification, to put a smile on our face on a Sunday like this and say, I'm fine. I'm doing just fine. I think the reason why we do that is because of shame. We are prone to cleaning the outside of the cup because deep down we are ashamed of what is on the inside. Christian counselor Ed Relch describes shame in this way. He says, shame is the deep sense that you are unacceptable because of something you did and you feel exposed and humiliated. Shame is this feeling that we are exposed, that we've done something wrong, that everybody knows it. And when we feel shame, when we feel exposed, we hide. We go into hiding. We hide ourselves from one another and we hide ourselves from God. This is what Adam and Eve did in the garden. After they sinned, after they disobeyed God and took the fruit of the tree, we are told that they felt naked, that they felt ashamed, and so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves, and then they hid from God. What I want you to see this morning is that you and I do the exact same thing when we feel shame. And we begin to sow the fig leaves of self-justification and self-righteousness and a spiritual resume and all of our worldly accomplishments and we sow these fig leaves together and we hide behind it. And we make an image, an imposter, someone that does not exist and we hide. And so let me ask you something this morning. What images, what fig leaves are you hiding behind? And more importantly, what are you hiding from? Two weeks ago, I attended a pastor's breakfast hosted by the Council for Life. <clears throat> Council for Life is an organization here in Dallas that exists to educate and equip women and men to make life-affirming decisions. And after several speakers, all of which were very convicting and very strong, I would say the most powerful was also the most vulnerable. The last speaker was a local pastor who shared his own story of abortion. And he told the story about how his fiance, ex-fiance called him after they had broken up and shared with him that she was pregnant and that he was the father. 
And so he drove with her down to Dallas here because at the time, abortion was illegal where they lived. And I'll never forget the almost crassness in which he talked about driving her to the clinic, dropping her off, feeling hungry and so getting a bite to eat at McDonald's and by the time he came back, it was done. And he said he carried the shame, the deep shame of what he had done and what he had contributed to all the way into his marriage. All the way up into the point, eventually his now wife, after they got married, he shared with her what had happened. And she was so moved by his honesty and his vulnerability that then she shared with him that when she was in college, she had an abortion too. And then this is what the pastor said, and I want you to hear it. He said, one of the greatest weapons that abortion wields is shame. The shame that you experience when there's an unexpected pregnancy. The shame that he experienced after having an abortion a shame that weighed him down, that shackled his soul. So I don't know what's weighing you down this morning, what shame that you feel. But I do know this, shame is a prison. And I want you to hear these words. If you find yourself this morning shackled by shame, hear these words, Romans 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The second and final thing that I want us to see this morning before we sing. The Lord sees not as man sees. The Lord looks at the heart. One by one, Jesse brought every one of his sons up to Samuel. And one by one, God rejected all of them Samuel was perplexed. He was confused. He asked Jesse, is this all of your sons? And Jesse said, well, there is one more. It's my son, David, but he's the youngest and he's out keeping the sheep. More has been written about David in the Bible than any other human being. And so what you have to see here that is absolutely amazing is that his father, his father, could not have imagined that David would be king. He was the youngest. He was an afterthought. He didn't even bring them before Samuel to the sacrifice. No, he was the only one out doing chores. And what were his chores? He was keeping the sheep. David was a shepherd. And this would become the defining characteristic of David's kingship. He was the shepherd king. Why did God choose David? Because he saw past all the appearance, past all the facade, all of the resume, all of the external characteristics, and he saw right to his heart, the heart of a shepherd, a heart just like his. And the problem for us this morning, if we're gonna be honest, is that our hearts are not like David's. No, our hearts are like Saul's. They are deceitful, and sick. 
They are defiant rather than devoted. They are filled with shame rather than being the heart of a shepherd. And so what do we do? Verse 13, God tells Samuel to anoint David. And when he does, the Holy Spirit rushes upon him. My friends, the same Holy Spirit has been poured out on you and on me. This Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that we celebrate in baptism, is now working the gospel deep into our hearts. And I want you to hear this as we close. Ezekiel 36, 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all uncleanliness. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. My friends, God sees right through you and he sees right through me. He sees past your image of self-righteousness and self-justification and he sees right through your shame and he sees your heart for what it really is, wicked and desperately sick, and he loves you. He sees your heart for what it is, and he loves you still, and he loved you so much that he sent his own son. Micah tells us that another shepherd king would be born in Bethlehem. This shepherd king, the king of kings, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ would come to take out our heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. Not to just mend our broken hearts, but to give us a heart transplant. He died and he rose again so that you could have his heart and stand before God himself as righteous. So brothers and sisters, friends, lay down your shame. Lay down the facade that you hide behind and experience the amazing love of our God and Father who has sent us his very son. May Jesus Christ be the king and shepherd of our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would be with us as we sing this song, Father, that we would sing and proclaim the gospel and as we leave, Father, would we respond, would allow your work to be done deep in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.